there are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. G go away. Go I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone get me Brian Anderson. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment, Oddities with John Mallard. Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart, where you can find new episodes on the second and last Sunday of each month on Podbean. You can also find us on sparkradionet.org, iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, YouTube, and any place you find fine podcasts. Folks, I keep saying the most amazing thing for me to see is where you, the listener, is from around the globe. So this episode's shout out goes to my listeners in Switzerland. Thank you so much. Much love to you and keep listening. Before I get to my guest, enjoy Oddities with Paranormal Heart's very own odd guy, John Mallard. Over to you, John. Hey guys, welcome to Oddities on Paranormal Heart. Oddities, strange facts about a weird, weird world that are very, very true. And you don't have to look far for weird things on this planet. No, 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 not at all. In fact, there are some very strange things, quite literally, well, on you, around you. Yeah, I'm talking about gross body facts for this episode of Oddities. Gross body facts. Bored? Impossible. After all, that body you're living in is like a never-ending carnival of the bizarre, gross, and unbelievable. Seriously, check out how busy you are. Oddly number one, you shed dead skin cells at a rate of about 40 pounds per lifetime. Did you know eating asparagus can make your pee smell funny? Eating red beets can turn your pee red. Do both at once and wow, talk about fun. <laughs> Did you know your feet can sweat as much as a gallon? A perspiration per week? A gallon a week? That's gross. One advantage to blowing your nose when it's full. 
What comes out is full of trap dirt and unwanted germs. Every day you burp about 15 times, swallow a quarter snot, and make eight cups of pee. If you eat fast and talk while you chew, you'll burp even more. You make a quart of saliva every day and a new batch of snot every 20 minutes. And did you know earwax captures dirt that shouldn't get in your inner ear? How do you get rid of it? Well, opening and closing your mouth. That breaks the wax into teeny pieces, which then fall out. Mmm, delicious. About 75% of the dust floating around your house is actually dead skin cells. So, you know, yeah, the whole orbs thing, you know, the the, the old pictures and the orbs. Guess what? They really are dead people. (laughs) Your body's odor is caused by bacteria that live in your sweat, multiplying, dying, and decomposing. And did you know, you shouldn't try to stop, you know, yourself from throwing up by closing your mouth. It'll come out your nose. If only I knew that when I was a younger, younger lad. <laughs> More gross stuff? Okay, sure. Toe jam. Do you even know what that stuff is? I'm going to end with this because this just, ugh. I'm getting kind of nauseous just listening to this. But do you know what toe jam actually is? What exactly is that gray, dust bunny-looking stuff between your toes? Some people call it toe jam, but ugh, you'd never even think about smearing on a piece of toast. So where does it come from? Well, folks, most mornings you slip on a pair of socks and put your feet into a pair of shoes. As you walk around all day, your skin sheds dead cells. Some drift into the air or into your clothes, but the cells on your toes have no place to go except into those nice little spaces between the toes. Take those dead cells and add some moisture from your feet, which are sweating inside those shoes and socks, I might add, and the combination creates a nice gray goo. Then add some fuzz and bits of thread for your socks, and voila! Now you have you know, toe jam. Now, have you ever rolled a little ball of clay between your fingers? That's what your toes are doing with the dead cells, the moisture, and the fuzz. Toss in some of the dirt you picked up from walking around barefoot before you put on your socks, and you've got yourself a nice little ball of toe jam. Guys, this was disgusting. Don't forget to check out the Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal podcast, and I'll throw this one back to you, Kat. Whoa, if you can stomach it. Have a great day. Thanks so much, John. My next guest this episode has a background as a journalist, is a paranormal experiencer of many kinds, including seeing the angel of death, alien encounters, and more. He owns the night as host Mondays to Fridays on Spaced Out Radio. A fellow Canadian, please welcome Mr. Dave Scott. Hey, Dave. Welcome to Paranormal Heart. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Kat, for having me. I know uh, you have been a listener of mine for a long time, and now that you got your own thing going, I'm I'm very happy to be here and uh, have a great conversation with you. Thanks so much, Dave. It uh, really means a lot to me. It does. Um, you know, being a, a fan of your show for so many years, and now having you on my little show. I mean, this is this is really really um, a special special interview for me. Thank you. Oh, anytime. I, I know what it's like, and and uh, it's very rare I get the opportunity to actually speak with someone on this side of the microphone where I'm interviewed. So I'm looking forward to it and see where this goes. You can ask me anything. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I, I like I said, I'm, I've been listening to you for a few years, and I heard you on Nobubumi recently uh, with our good friends Brian Bowden and the crypto guru himself, Ron, and... Um, I learned a few things about you that I didn't know, and I thought it was very, very intriguing and fascinating to me, and I just had to have you on the show to talk about it so my listeners could hear it as well. 
Absolutely. Let's, let's just do this. Feel free to ask anything. I'm, I'm a pretty open book when it comes to my own personal experiences. And, you know, a lot of people will, will, uh, be a little weirded out. Some will say that, uh, that they've had it happen to them as well. And others will say, oh, that sounds way too good to be true. There's no way this guy has gone through all this. But, you know, when you're in a position like I am, where you are continually, in front of the public eye or, or in, in their ears, you know, honesty is the best policy. And, you know, being a journalist for as long as I was uh, in uh, terrestrial radio and now being able to do this with Spaced Out Radio the last five years, you know, we really emphasize the fact that we want to make sure that the stories that we put out, including our own, are the absolute truth. So let's just have some fun and see where it goes. For sure. And as you know, um, in this industry, if you start saying lies about your encounters, that's going to come out soon enough. And then people are just not going to take you seriously anymore and uh, they won't listen. Absolutely. And we've seen that happen a lot of times throughout my short time in this only only being five years. And, you know, the good part for for me is coming from an actual journalism radio background. All right where you understand how actual radio works and you understand how things can be misconstrued and you understand how how stories are created you don't think about trying to fib the listeners you don't think about trying to pull one over someone's eyes to make yourself look better than what you are that's just not even in the game plan and I'm very thankful that I have uh, that radio background and that journalism background of being able to tell the truth, seek the truth, look for those stories that need to be told. Because, like you said, there's a lot of people in this field who are looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And, you know, whether we like it or not, it is out there happening. Unfortunately, sometimes people get called out on the carpet and they're and they're exposed for what they are. And, you know, I'm lucky enough with a lot of my personal experiences that I have had. I've had eyewitness to. I don't quite understand them. My job is to share them. And yeah, I mean, how do you react to a lot of the things that have happened? You just literally have to go with it and see how it plays out. So that's kind of what I've been doing over the years with with my own experiences, whether it's with uh, my Sasquatch encounters, UFO encounters, alien encounters, ghostly encounters, you know, just happy that my ex-mother-in-law hasn't come in to haunt me as well. (laughs) And I find when you relate your encounters like that, it also helps a lot of other people who might be struggling with what they have encountered. They don't know how to explain it. They know they encountered something, but they don't know what it is, and they just can't wrap their minds around it. And I have actually met people uh, who it's destroyed their their families because they don't know, they've, they've gotten withdrawn, and because they don't feel like they can tell anybody what their encounters are like. So hearing other people that, who have had the same experiences actually helps them feel like they're not alone, and, and it actually does happen. Well, and that's a good point. And, and, you know, I know for me, okay, I have lost friends. I have, I have family members who don't really talk to me anymore because I'm a weirdo. 
All right. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't love me. It doesn't mean that they don't uh, cherish who I am or or whatever. They just, in their opinion, don't agree with what I'm doing and or what I'm saying or they don't personally have a belief in it. And they segregate themselves from that. And a lot of people in this field go through that. Is it tough? Absolutely Mm -hmm. it is. I mean, there's nothing you can do. You can't force someone to accept what you've gone through, if they don't believe in it uh, for whatever their reason is, whether it's religious purposes, whether it's due to their own personal belief, or maybe the topics scare them. I know one person uh, in my that used to be in my uh, very close knit group of friends just really is uncomfortable with the subject, doesn't want to deal with it, and therefore, you know, chooses not to have a relationship with me over that. And that happens with a lot of people out there. And, you know, with Spaced Out Radio, the one thing that we've always tried to do is we've always tried to build that community, cat, where everybody feels that they have a place. Everybody feels that they have uh, a voice where Mm -hmm. people in our chat rooms, in in our community are going to be able to say, you know, this is a safe place for me. I'm believed here. I'm, I'm trusted here. I'm, I'm a little bit of everything. And, and that's a very, very difficult, uh, practice to try and get out there because there are so many people who try to discredit for no reason. There are so many people out there who try to, to manipulate situations. And I, you know, I hate to put it that way, but it's very true. And as sickening as that is, you have to battle it. You have no choice but to battle it. You have no choice but to to put your foot down and and really try and build a community of people who feel safe and, and feel that they aren't going to be tested all the time or feel that they're going to be, mainly be believed with what they've experienced. I totally agree. I've yet to encounter anyone who's in this field uh, who hasn't been shunned in one way or another from family and friends. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it's very tough. It's very tough. And, and, you know, that's why we try and stick together. Like with us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't want to say it's like cultish or anything like that. Cause that's definitely not what it is, but no. I mean, you have to be able to provide a safe area for people. And if you can do that and let them know that they're believed it's going to help them. You're 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 part time entertainer. You're a part time counselor. You're a part time, uh, you know, role model. You're a part time everything, and and it's tough because that's a lot of responsibility that a lot of people, in my opinion, who get into podcasting or get into uh, this topic, whether it's writing about it, whether whatever it may be. They don't see the actual responsibility that comes along with this craft. And there, in my opinion, is a lot of responsibility. Some may not believe that that responsibility is there. And there are others, I think, much like ourselves and the team that we have surrounded ourselves with, who 100% believe that we're there to help. We're there to find answers. We're there to to look at a person dead in the eye and say, we believe you. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a support network, in my opinion. You could say that. 
you could say that. But you, here's the other part, too, that you have to be careful with when it comes to podcasting, when it comes to to minor celebrity status, whatever you really want to call it, okay? You have to be careful how much you engage, all right? Because there's a lot of people, I know for me, and and I've tried to tell my uh, one of my former, uh, or a couple of my former weekend hosts this, you know, the audience, as much as you're there to help them, as much as you're there to, to entertain them, as much as you're there to... to uh, broadcast to them live and and that might be their only entertainment okay because the one thing that we I think you can agree with me on this this field has a lot of lonely people it sure a does. lot of lonely mm-hmm. people you, you know for one reason or another but the big thing that you always got to remember is you know and this is going to sound a little bit crass all right but these people out there who are who are blessing you with their time they're not friends hmm. all right and that and that is the biggest biggest thing that that i think we can learn because what we do is when it's human nature that when you start helping people you become close to them and you and you become you know you get to know them on a little bit of a different level than anything else. And there's a lot of people who misconstrue that for friendship. I mean, it's kind of like when you go to a, a, a psychologist or a counselor and they're your best friend for uh, that one hour. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're gone. You know, you can almost see them turn the switch and that's the way that you have to be because people are personally investing their time in you. You have to be careful how much time you invest in them because it's not just, uh, it's not just Jim or it's not just Jane or it's not everybody. It's, it's your, all of your listeners. And once you start engaging one, you're going to have to engage them all. And that is very tough. I mean, you want to because you want to be a person who helps, but how much time can you put in? Mm -hmm. And that's where it it gets a little bit tedious sometimes because you feel like you're letting your audience down. You're feeling like you are, are, you know, letting yourself down because you want to be there to help people and help them find their answers because they have entrusted you with their most important part of their life, which is their time. And, you know, you want to try and be able to give back. And unfortunately, you just can't because you have to keep that 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 distance from the audience. And you have to you have to be able to keep that professionalism with the audience. And, and a lot of people out there, including, you know, former hosts of, of what we do. All right. Could not understand or comprehend that. You know, uh, I remember one of my my, my former weekend hosts, you know, she didn't call uh, the people in our chat room the audience. She called them her friends. And Mm. I would constantly remind her, you know, they're not your friends. Yes, they're great people. Yes, they are, are, are doting on every word that you say. Yes, they they are loyal to you. Yes, they are are fantastic people. But what do you know about them? What yep. do you know what they're really like? 
What do you know about their personal circumstances? How much have you let them into your own life? Because it's dangerous. I mean, you don't know me, Kat. I don't know you. Your audience members may have heard me, but they don't know me personally. All right. They don't know what I'm about. And when you start letting people into that inner circle without investigating them or without, you know, learning about who they are, what they're about or whatever, it can be, you know, it can be dangerous, you know, lack of a better term. It really can. And you have to be careful with what you do, who you are, who you associate with. And once you're able to kind of grasp that, then everything becomes easier. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, when it comes to social media, um, when I, cause I get a lot of requests on various platforms and I always look into people first to find out, well, who are they? Why? Wh and I understand they want to connect with me in some in some means, but like Facebook, for example, I won't, ex I don't accept everyone who sends me a friend request. Um, a lot of times they don't even message me, which I find is rude. At least send me a little message saying, Hey, um, this is why I'm messaging you. Would you care to be friends on Facebook? Um, but if I don't know who they are and we have no mutual friends, I always look into them first because I have to be very careful with who I accept because there's a lot of people out there who do not have your best interest. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, like, uh, recently I had to, I had to, it, it, let me put it this way. If you go into my chat room during one of the shows, I got like four different chat rooms plus Twitter and hashtag mm -hmm. spaced out radio. Uh, on one of my chat rooms, I have a rule. I have a rule. Treat people with respect. Treat exactly. people with, with uh, you know, our guests with respect as well. And one person in there uh, just got a little over belligerent. I had warned this person numerous times, and I don't ban people from the chat room because I want them to be able to have as much freedom to say what they want, how they want, whenever they want. All right. But it comes as long as I'm paying for that chat room, it comes with a price. And that price is be respectful. Mm -hmm. And this this one person can't be respectful. And, and I've tried to speak with that person and just doesn't get it. Well... I had to ban the person from my chat room because of the continued belligerence that, that kept going. And it's funny to watch because you want to have a room and a place for everybody to be able to, to hang out and have some fun. And now this person who was, was asking me almost, I, I'm not going to say begging because I think that sounds a little cheap, but was asking quite profusely can I come back? I'm sorry. And, you know, I get out of hand sometimes and I know this and, and I'm, and I'm like thinking about this. Okay, whatever. Well, then you go into other chat rooms of friends shows and there they are carving you or bragging how ah, I got blocked. I got blocked. Yeah. And, and, and you're like, really? Like you have the nerve to whine and snivel to me that you want to come back. You insult my guests, you insult my, my listeners and, and so on and so forth. You know, sorry, I don't have time for you. And then what happens is because they don't like your decision, now they start trolling. And mm -hmm. now they start, 
they start making up different identities to to try and uh, lower your your ratings and and scores and your and everything on on everything from YouTube to your podcast to your live shows and it's just absolutely funny to watch. It really is funny. And, uh, you know, I mean that in a, in a very sarcastic tone because it's annoying. It's crap mm-hmm. that we shouldn't have to deal with, but it happens. And, and unfortunately that comes with the territory. And, and as Everett Themer always likes to remind me, he says, Dave, the bigger you get, the more it's going to continue. And that is so true. And it's good advice. And, and, you know, that's one thing with Spaced Out Radio that I've been very fortunate about is we have really been able to surround ourselves with professional people, people who are, you know, in industry. They they understand media. They understand the public. They understand everything. And, and when you're building a team like we have, you have to have a little piece of everything. And I think we've really strived hard to to create that more so than what a lot of other people think. And and it's, it's interesting to see how it plays out for a lot of people, because a lot of people like even like R- Rich Giordano, him and I were having a conversation just the other night about this. And and, you know he couldn't understand why we were monitoring competition to see, you know, like he was like, well, why do we worry about that? And I'm like, well, I said, let's just say that something happens. How are we going to react? How are we going to react as we're trying to, to gain terrestrial radio stations uh, across Canada and the United States? How do we react to say a new host who comes in who has that same goal and all of a sudden out of nowhere has 20 radio stations or 10 radio stations. How do you react to that? How do you combat that? So, I mean, it's a real mix as you move forward with everything in trying to balance out the business side from the paranormal side to the listener side to the guest side to trying to build up your own marketing to try everything. It's just a constant 24-hour cause that you're working on. And maybe it's a labor of love. Maybe it's a labor of hate. But you still got to take the road because that's the road you've been put on. Something that I don't understand in this uh, community is the drama when they're trying to tear each other apart. For example, I have a good friend, a personal friend. She was asked on a um, on a show. I'm not going to mention the show. Um, went it went very very well. She was asked to go on again. So she thought, okay, great. She was torn apart by the host, and she was thrown aback. She's like, what is going on? Then she finds out that apparently this host, that's what that individual does. They'll bring you on, have a great show, then bring you back on, and then just rip you apart because that individual is looking for, um, I don't know what he's looking for, but I just, I don't understand it. Why treat your guests that way? (sighs) I've heard of I've heard of that happening. I, I've uh, never had that happen myself. I do know people who have had that happen. I know there is a, you know, I know there's one Canadian host who is famous for doing that out of Ontario, and it's not Cat. And <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I, I know uh, that that has happened before. And he, here's here's what I can say to that. Okay. Well, there's a couple things I can say, and since I'm a big mouth, I probably will. <laughs> uh, 
I have never thrown a guest under the bus. Okay. Because I think it's unprofessional. I think it's garbage. Uh, I think it's a, a, a real cheap shot at gaining some sort of popularity and, and false credibility with, with anybody. And, you know, I would love to go head to head with a person like that as to why they feel the necessity to, to do that. That being said, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not out here looking for that type of garbage because I have bigger things that I need to accomplish in my life, you know, um, and bigger goals. And I have a good support system that, that, uh, the minute I get frustrated or angry like that, where I want to do something about it, I have a great team behind me who sits there and says, okay, is this the best part for your ego? Or is this the best part for spaced out radio? And that's where all of a sudden the thinking has to come in and you put your thinking cap on and you're like, you're right. I'll bite my tongue again because <laughs> we're always having to bite our tongue. And that's kind of where, where it goes. Uh, I think it's a lack of respect for the medium, which is paranormal radio. I think it's a lack of respect for uh, the creation of of podcasting. And and I'll be honest with you. Like I, I was talking to Rich Giordano about this the other night in our conversation as well. You know, I'm... I don't think I'm far off and people will say, wow, what a jerk for saying this. But, but I say this with the benefit of the audience in the, out there. Okay. I don't think that 95% of the shows, the podcasts, the people who go on Facebook live and call it a radio show. Okay. Which you can't be on radio if you're doing a Facebook live people. All right. I, I really do believe that 95% of these so-called shows out there should not be on. All right. They are, they are weak. They are, they are, um, not professional. Uh, they're only there to stroke someone's ego rather than to bring information to the field. Um, that being said, there's some people out there who are professional broadcasters where, they just want to carve people up as well. So, I mean, it does go both ways. But I do believe, point blank, that this is what happens when you have an oversaturation in a market, which includes podcasting, all right? And, you know, uh, I was talking to a, a good radio friend of mine where just the other day where he was saying the worst thing that ever happened to terrestrial radio is podcasting. And when I said to ask him why, why he thought that he's like, think about it, Dave. He goes, you've been in this a long time. You know, the microphone gives people a false sense of professionalism. They don't understand. Most people don't understand what journalism is. They don't understand, uh, what asking proper questions is. They don't understand what focus is. They don't understand a lot of what's going on. And it is so true. Like when you're in broadcasting school, you know, and I would, I would recommend this for anybody. If you want to build your podcast, if you want to build your, your, your radio show to sound more like, you know, something that you would hear on the radio dial or on Sirius XM or something like that, do yourself a favor, take a, a journalism course at, uh, or at the local college, you know, it's one semester. 
one semester so you can actually understand what we're talking about. Take a broadcasting course. Yes, not all of us have the money for that, okay? You know, take some online courses. Ask for help, all right? There's a lot of people out there that will help you if you just ask. I know that for a fact because I've asked for help myself. And when you ask for help, people will answer. Now, the only difference is, excuse me, is when you ask for help, use that advice you've been given. Okay? Use the advice you've been given. Don't just take it and then run to the next source. Like, you know, you get all these people out there who go for psychic readings every day on the uh, on blog talk radio or other podcasts that are out there that have free psychic call-ins. Well, you get the same people almost every day on every show and they bounce show to show to ask the exact same question on, is my husband cheating on me? Or am I going to get that job or, or whatever it may be? It's always there. And it's the same thing with advice for podcasts where I've had a number of people over the years come up to me and say, Hey Dave, you know, how come spaced out radio sounds different than a lot of these other shows? And here, I'll give you, Kat, and I'll give your audience the best piece of advice that I have when it comes to podcasting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to involve you on this, if you're okay with that. Of course. Okay. If you and I are in an airplane, okay? So here you and I are in the cockpit of an airplane, okay? If you equate the cockpit of an airplane to your radio studio... Who's the pilot and who's the navigator? If your radio show is the cockpit of an airplane, mm -hmm. who's the pilot and who's the navigator? Between the two of us, you mean? Yes. Uh, I think that's something that you have to discuss to figure out who's going to be doing what. And whoever has the most experience would, would obviously be the pilot. Okay. And why do you say that? Oh, <laughs> geez, you have, you've always had really good questions. Um, because the person who has more experiences, chances are they're more knowledgeable and can take the helm, the, the controls easier. Okay, perfect. Good answer. You answer the same way 99% of the people do I ask that question. Really? All right. Yes. That's interesting. And I will tell you this, and don't take this the wrong way, but it's you're wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what's the job of a pilot? The job of the pilot is to steer the airplane, correct? Mm-hmm. Is to fly the airplane uh, and take it all in and make it happen, correct? Correct. Who gets you to where you need to go? Are you the talking about... Okay. I was going to say the airplane, but... <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. The navigator. So, as a radio show host... Hmm. What's your job? Your job is to direct those questions at me to take this interview to where you want to go. So you're saying that the host is the navigator? Absolutely. Hmm. And as long as you can always remember that, and podcasters out there, as long as you can always remember that, that it's your job as the host of the show to get your guest to where you need to go, you will never have a bad show. That's really, really interesting and, and extremely sage advice. 
Exactly. Hmm. And, and that is probably the most important piece of advice I can give. The other piece of advice I love to give people too is don't lie about your credentials. Mm-hmm. Okay. The big, one of the biggest issues we have in this field right now is people lying about their credentials. And one of the biggest lies out there is people calling themselves journalists or investigative journalists. Okay. If you write a blog, you are not a journalist. If you write a, a, a column for a, for a, uh, you know, an internet website, you are not a journalist. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing a lot of people out there right now who are getting television shows, who are getting opportunities on, on, uh, other radio programs, speaking at conferences all over North America. And when you go look at their resume, you can see that, that they have never ever been a journalist, but they are calling themselves an investigative journalist or whatever. There was one guy online and I'm not going to mention who it is. Uh, I have zero respect for him and he has, he has done that exact same thing. He has got a television show out of it and on the television show, they, they title him as an investigative journalist. This guy has never worked a day in a newsroom, never worked and has no education in it in the, in the system, hasn't done any professional writing or anything. But the problem that we have with the internet, much like putting a microphone in someone's, uh, uh, face, like we were just talking about podcasting is the internet has also, uh, really desecrated what a, what, what a journalist is. Okay. Yes, it's important for people to have their own say. Yes, it's important for people to have their own abilities to communicate. Yes, it's important that people have an opportunity to to vet what the information that they want and get it out there by any means possible. However, the way we are in today's society with self-titling ourselves in order to make us look more prominent, to make us look more professional, it really is getting out of hand. And a lot of people are starting to fire back on that because they're tired of it. You know, you just can't make up a career and say, this is who I am. Yet we accept that in the paranormal with journalists, these so-called investigative journalists that, or, and people calling themselves journalists, I, I went up to this one person because uh, he tried to say on Twitter that he, you know, he he was being called out for calling himself a journalist. He goes, yeah, right. I'm not a journalist. Look at what I've done. I've written a book. Well, let's look at your book. Your book was you collected a bunch of experiences that people dictated to you. All right. You didn't write anything. They gave you their stories. You glued them all together, put it in a book and sold it. Mm. That's not authoring. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it, technically it is, but it's a cheap way to call yourself an author. All right. You've never worked in journalism. You have no idea what the, what the word investigative journalism meant. There is only one investigative journalist in, in the entire UFO field. And that's George Knapp. Okay, I spent 10 years as a journalist in radio. I never qualified for an investigative journalist. 
And yes, there are people out there who are who are turning themselves into journalists, citizen type journalists who have never had proper training or whatever. It does happen. It really does. And it's happening more and more. But writing a blog is not journalism. Videoing a vlog or YouTube channel is not journalism. It's not even television. And we we have this giant confusion that this is what we are. And we self-title ourselves. And that is something that is extremely regretful, in my opinion, in this entire field. Because when you are playing with people, and that's exactly what we are doing, was we, we are people are trusting us to bring the truth, to bring our knowledge and everything. And when you are lying to people about your credentials, how can we trust any of your research? Very true. And unfortunately, the UFO community, the paranormal community, all right, they accept this garbage. They accept it as... This is who the person is. And this is why I get frustrated in this field. I get frustrated big time because, you know what, Kat? There are a bunch of brilliant people in this field. Very, very smart. Smarter than I could ever be. All right? We have scientists. We have physicists. We have engineers. We have... We have people with doctorates looking into this field. All right. In the meantime, we're going to have paranormal teams out there trying investigative journalism or scientific study when they haven't been in a lab since high school. Mm-hmm. Right. When you when you look at you know, and this is why, like on on Spaced Out Radio, I had to stop taking paranormal teams because I could not personally handle the BS that a lot of these teams were spewing, especially when it came to science. And if you want to clean up the field. Okay, you have to start by acknowledging what is the problem. Well, the problem that we have right now is everybody can self-title themselves. The other problem we have is we have too many people claiming that they are conducting scientific research when realistically all they are doing is conducting personal opinion. All right. Mm -hmm. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous for the entire field, and the field will never grow because we are equating opinion as fact. All right? A great example of this is in the Sasquatch community. All right? We'll have a bunch of people who absolutely refuse to investigate the idea that Sasquatch could be an interdimensional shape-shifting type being. Absolutely refuse. And when you ask them why, they will tell you, well, I don't believe in that crap. That crap doesn't exist. All you have to do is say, prove it. Mm -hmm. Prove it. 
prove that it doesn't exist. And yet, they can't. Right? They're shooting down opinions, okay, because they don't believe in them. Well, guess what? You're not conducting anything scientific then. Because what is science? To break down science to its to a minimal standard, okay? Science is the belief or disbelief in theory. Mm-hmm. All right, you have to you have to prove or disprove whether or not theory the theory is real. I was just going to say that's science. That. Mm-hmm. That's science. So if Kat, if you were to tell me, let's say I didn't believe that the that uh, oh I don't know. Let's just say I didn't believe that air exists because you can't see it. All right. Yet science proves that air is out there, but I can't see it. So therefore I say, you know, air doesn't exist. This is the argument we're having. Right. Right. As nonsensical as it is, that is the argument we are having in the paranormal right now. Because people don't do not want to believe that because the, it doesn't suit their their personal mandate, that obviously things do not exist, and and it's difficult. It's very difficult in order to in order to combat that because the people don't want to believe. All right. So when you look at the whole scientific side of everything, and I know I'm jumping around here right now because this is such a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I know I've heard you talk about uh, this. Keep going. Uh, so when when you when you look at everything and and the idea of of science, okay, and I'm not a scientist whatsoever, but that's why I have Dr. Chris Cogswell, who I can reach out to at any time and and get an opinion from. And if I'm being stupid or illiterate, he'll tell me. Mm-hmm. And you know, we always have to remember that science is about proving or disproving theory. That's what science is. It's nothing else besides that. And what we see in communities like the Sasquatch community, the ghost community, and and people like that is we continue to see, well, that doesn't exist because I don't believe in it. They don't have, and I refuse to investigate something I don't believe. Well, guess what? Your opinion on what you believe or disbelieve means nothing. So automatically, what you're saying is you are not conducting anything scientific. Well, we use scientific gear and we use scientific thought in regards to this. Well, no, you don't. You don't because you are are conducting opinion. And the minute you start to conduct opinion, we are all dumber for it. Each and every one of us who is in this field is dumber for it because you're conducting opinion. So why are you wasting, you Mr. Investigator or Mrs. Investigator, wasting your time investigating something if you are not willing to do it scientifically? If you're not willing to prove anything, why are you doing this? Ego? Mm -hmm. Then tell me. I'm okay with that. All right? It's like these ghost hunting teams who go out there, and this is why I don't have a lot of ghost hunting teams on the show. I used to try because I used to think that, uh, you know, it was important for us to talk to these ghost hunters and see what they're all about until I met these two ladies who I had on the air, and I've never kicked anybody off the show before, but I actually had to relieve them from the third hour of the show because what they were saying was just so ridiculous, you know. 
they were trying to tell me that they were helping people by proving or disproving whether or not the place was haunted. And somehow that was helping people, whether, whether it meant provoking, whether it meant, it meant, uh, uh, doing whatever I said. So you're not there to really solve anything. Oh, well, what do you mean by that? Well, how are you helping a person if you're proving or disproving that their place is haunted? They already believe that their place is haunted. That's why you're there. So what are you doing there? So they're just what going is your there, solution? So they're just going there to to reaffirm that the place is haunted and then that's it. They're not trying to do anything else. Exactly. I said, you don't cleanse it? No. And here's the other part. Because they were involved in a certain famous group that has a family everywhere, or what they call the the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had rules and guidelines that they needed to follow. And one of those rules and guidelines was the fact that they were not allowed to use any sort of intuition in their, in their uh, teachings or in their research whatsoever. Well, paranormal is very much about intuition. Mm-hmm. Very much about it. So if you can't use a tool, are you conducting science? No. No, you're not. You're lying again. Right. And the funny part about it is the, the two ladies that I, were t- I was talking to, they, they both admitted that they were intuitive. I said, so you, you're not even allowed to trust your own instincts on a case. They said, exactly. Hmm. I said, that makes no sense. No. Right. And then what they do is they hide behind the word science. There's so you many can't hide behind do. the word. Exactly. The word science and the word journalism need to be taken out of everybody, unless you've been trained in it, whether it's amateur or, or uh, professionally, that word needs to, those two words need to be taken right out of every paranormal person's vocabulary. Totally agree. Uh, get, getting back to that part where you said the ladies just affirm if the place is haunted or not. That's almost like going to a doctor with a broken leg and the doctor saying, yeah, it's broken and they're not doing anything about it. They're not going to set it. They're not going to exactly. do anything. That makes exactly. no sense. How, how is that exactly. helping anyone? But that's what you see on television. Yeah. And Too unfortunately, often. a lot of people, and unfortunately people use television as school. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with equipment. Now I find like the EMF detector if someone's using the EMF detector and it's lighting up, to them that's proof that there's a ghost. Well, no, the proof is something's there to make it react that way, but why? It's not proof. Yeah. You have to go a step further to find out. Okay, so that, that brings up another big question in this entire field, though. Mm-hmm. What is proof? Yeah. My proof is different than your proof. More than likely. All right. Exactly. My experiences are different than your experiences. Mm-hmm. So, so the big question there is, what is, what is the reality of it? What is the proof? All right. If someone, say, has an encounter with a Sasquatch that is very violent, my encounter has not been very violent I'm sitting here saying Sasquatch isn't a violent creature. This person is. What's the truth? What's mm-hmm. the proof? In this That's where instance, we get in. 
And in this instance, the the truth is they're both of them are accurate because one had diff you both had different experiences. Exactly. But in the paranormal community, I'm right, you're wrong. Yes. And we hear that all too often. Exactly. And that's why I stay away from it. Mm-hmm. As much as much as I can. I just uh smile and nod when people say that and it's like, okay, that's your opinion. I, they're just looking for fights. I'm not willing to. See, I, I, I will go the fight. And most times, most times, I'll win. Not mm-hmm. because I'm cocky or arrogant or anything. All right. But because most people who are in this so-called fight have no idea what they're talking about. Now, I could tell you right now, when it comes to people like Chris Cogswell, William Pullen, John Tenney, mm-hmm. David Weatherly... Ross Allison, I will get schooled every time. <laughs> Grant Cameron, there's another one. I will get schooled every single time. But here's the other thing that I find very interesting, all right, is when it comes to the paranormal and supernatural, the people who are arguing aren't even in the game, man. They're not even in the game. And we are seeing this with with shows like Hellier. I don't know if you're familiar with Hellier. I haven't seen it, but Uh, I've heard of it. Okay. Everybody should watch it because I really strongly believe it's the new wave of where the paranormal is going. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm very strongly believing this. And uh, Greg Dane at Newkirk, Connor Randall, Mm -hmm. uh, Tyler Strand and Carl Pfeiffer, and even John Tenney to uh, a smaller extent, they are onto something that is incredible. And what that incredibility is, is the fact that they are showing that there is way more to this field than running around chasing goblins or running around chasing ghosts. There is an invisible connection that is out there that they are focused on between everything. And the paranormal community, for as naive and uh, that it is, will never catch on because it just does not understand that level of investigation. It really doesn't. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And if you look at all of the who I, not just me, but who many in this community consider the top paranormal investigators out there. They will all have one thing and a couple things in common. Number one, they never shoot someone down on a story. Mm-hmm. All right. That's probably the biggest lesson that I have learned through all of this is it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, trees that are walking around on their own or whether it's gnomes or whether it's or whether it's uh, ghosts and goblins or or UFOs. They never, ever crap on a topic to say, yeah, I don't believe in that. Yeah, I don't believe in that because they have learned through their investigation that everything is possible. The other thing, too, is that with this entire Hellier series that I'm very fond of, we also learn that that there are a bunch of realms out there that we have no clue on what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
And most teams out there are too naive to look into it because their sole focus is proving or disproving whether or not a place is haunted. So in other words, open your minds and find something because there's a lot of really cool mysteries out there that nobody is talking about because nobody wants to take the time to bring them out. Tell some stories. Who gives a, a, a crap about going to that asylum that has been investigated 478,000 times in the last mm-hmm. five years? You know what? It doesn't matter. That means nothing. You're a weekend warrior. If you want to do something special in this field, do what isn't being done. That's what's going to get attention to you. If you're an attention seeker or just somebody who is wanting to dare to be different, that's what's going to get you the attention. Do something different. Push the limits on something that hasn't been done. And we don't have enough of that because there's too many weekend warriors. There's too many copycats. There's too many people who just want to do the exact same thing because, because Zach Bagans had a, had a really cool experience here. So now I have to go there because I want that experience and it's going to cost me about $1,800 to get there, but I don't care. I need that experience. In the meantime, you could go 25, 30 miles or kilometers behind your home and there's probably a really cool building that nobody has ever investigated that is dying, pun intended, (laughs) to be looked into. Or maybe you have Sasquatch reports in your area that people would love to have investigated. Or maybe you have UFO encounters or whatever turns your crank. You don't need to be going to Waverly Hills with the 14,000 other people who are going to go there this year as a tourism destination. Now, that isn't a shot at Waverly Hills. It's a shot at the ghost hunters or the weekend warriors. If you're one of those people, you're not solving anything. Remember that. Do you think more and more people will start looking for um, places that haven't been investigated yet? No. Why is that? Oh, I've had this talk with Mike Morin from Haunted Crew of Canada. And I've had this talk with David Weatherly and and a few other people. People are lazy. They don't Mm -hmm. want to do the work, Cat. They want the work done for them so that way they can play off the reaction. No more trailblazers. There's not a lot of them. No. Okay, so you, you know, I look at where I live. I live in a remote part of British Columbia. The, there's only about 1,100 people in my community. And this place is right along the Gold Rush Trail where literally tens of thousands of people died, let alone the millions of people who walked this trail back in the 1800s and early 1900s. All right. And when I look at this, and the first thing I think of is, man, that's a lot of people, a lot of people. And there's a me, and when there's a lot of people, guess what? There's hauntings. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't want to go searching for them. 
we would sooner be, we would sooner be, um, having someone else do that work than find something new because, well, let's go to that location. There's lots of action there. Well, you know, as well as I do, Kat, because you've been in the paranormal field long enough to know that just because someone else is getting action doesn't mean you're going to. Exactly. I usually tell right. people, when people ask me how, how is that possible, I usually tell them, how many times have you gone walking in the woods where um, perhaps you've seen all kinds of wildlife, bunnies, fox, whatever, and another person could go in as many times as you and they've never seen anything at all. Doesn't mean there's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. A great example. We don't know. That's the biggest thing. We do not know. And until we start to know, all right, until we start to figure it out, people don't have that imagination. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the history. And it's unfortunate because how many stories, how many really, really cool stories are we missing out on because they're not in a popular asylum or they aren't in a, in a mm -hmm. popular area? We are missing some killer stories. For myself, and it's too bad. Yeah. For myself, investigating the paranormal is not only trying to find out what's there, it's learning about the history. What happened here? I love that part. That's the fun part. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to, you know, walk into a, you know, take, a, take an old trail, all right, come across a, a plane crash that, that, say, happened in the 1940s or 50s? And then all of a sudden bring out your gear and you're getting action and maybe you get the pilot and maybe he tells you mm -hmm. how the plane crashed. Mm -hmm. Right? You get the name, you get everything and you're able to confirm that. Yeah. Then it, right? there's, there's something that's so incredibly fascinating and exciting to me is when you, you um, say like you get the pilot's name and then you go do a little research and it's been confirmed. I love that. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, too, that we need to remember, we also, as a paranormal community, we need to be able to start figuring out what it is that we are going to be doing with our, with our information that we collect, our evidence that we collect. And I think that is the biggest downfall in the paranormal community, even the Bigfoot and UFO community. Everybody's at fault for this. I think in the, the UFO community has it a little bit more understanding, though, because what they are doing is they, they have the ability to get more scientific in everything than the Bigfoot. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but we have to start figuring out what are we doing with our evidence? And it's amazing how many people in the paranormal community, if you want to focus on that, even the Bigfoot community, have no idea what to do with their evidence. Sits in their hard drive. But what good does that do? Nothing. Exactly. 
So this is why I get a good laugh, like bringing things all around again. When I hear people, well, we're doing scientific investigation. Well, scientific investigation means you're working towards a conclusion. What is the conclusion that you were looking for? How, how are you getting there? Mm-hmm. And we can't answer that, that simple question. And this is where I get confused with uh, a lot of this because I, you know, I want to be able to learn something. I want to be able to, to get something going. I want to be able to, to be able to tell people, this is what we are experiencing. This is why this is happening. But if we're not doing anything with our evidence, if we're just collecting it, much like these two ladies who I had to kick off the air when I asked them, what do you do with your evidence? Oh, we collect it. Well, do you break it down for the, uh, and this is why I took them off the air right here was when I asked them, I said, well, what do you do with your evidence? And they say, well, we collect it. Well, what do you collect it for? Well, we collect it for us. So what do you do with the findings? Nothing. They don't even go back to the client. They do not go back to the client. Right. So I'm sitting there saying, so you're, people are allowing you into their house to investigate their home and you're not even giving them the courtesy of telling them what's going on? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I said, that we're done. That makes no sense. Yeah. But that's the paranormal community. So they're not helping the people, they're just helping themselves. Exactly. They don't care about stirring things up. No. They don't care about, about potentially creating poltergeist activity. There's no care in the world. They they got their evidence. What do they care? Because a lot of times in my experience, after you've done an investigation, um, sometimes you stir up things, you know, and and you can't, you can't leave your client hanging. No, but it's going on. It's going on. That's very maddening. Extremely. Exactly. And extremely disappointing. If you don't mind, Dave, we're going to take a little little turn here and um, change topics just a little bit and uh, tell my listeners about some of the experiences that you've had. Not a problem. Not a problem. I have uh, been fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at, uh, to have uh, some encounters with UFOs, extraterrestrials, Bigfoot, ghosts, the angel of death twice Shadow people, consciousness, psychic ability, channeling, and a little wood nymph that I still can't figure out. Wow. <laughs> now do before you get into some of these, do you feel that having one experience has opened you up to the all the other other realms? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is why I think that they're all tied together. Because if you look down at it and you look upon it and you talk to a lot of people, you know, and you're able to get somebody open, they will tell you point blank that it didn't just start with ghosts or aliens or, or whatever. There's a lot more that has gone on and you just have to be able to bring that out from people. Mm-hmm. And one, once you're able to bring that out, then you start learning that it isn't just a paranormal experience. It just isn't anything it, it's something that that is congruent with other experiences people are having 
And we have to be able to open up to that. That is very, very important that we do because we are losing so much information by just saying, you know, I only deal with ghosts and I'm only interested in your ghost stories. But for me, I think I have learned, call it the hard way, <laughs> that there is some sort of tie and connection in between everything. What that tie in, in connection is, I have no idea. And I know there's a lot of people like John Tenney, David Weatherly, Greg and Dana Newkirk who are looking into this tie that it's all connected and synchronous, synchronistic, pardon me. There was a time that I felt that paranormal only meant ghosts. And after a while, that didn't become so true because paranormal isn't just ghosts. It's cryptids, UFOs, anything strange that's happening. So now I right. look for people to tell me about their strange experiences, not just ghosts. Because I do believe yeah. it's all tied in like you do. I don't know how, yeah. but it yeah. is. You're very right. You're very true. And unfortunately, the majority of the community doesn't believe that. And so, like, for instance, when you're face-to-face -face with an extraterrestrial and the next day you're having an experience with a ghost, why would those two happen so close together? Mm -hmm. Or or in my scenario, when I started opening up and going down that rabbit hole, I was able to uh, really kind of look at things and be like, oh, man, like what is next? Like there's always something next. And you just have to be able to to go with it and you have to be able to to run with it. So like when I was face to face with an extraterrestrial. All right. And my eyes were not comprehending what what my mind or pardon me, my mind was not comprehending what my eyes were seeing. Okay. That really messed with me. That really, really pushed me to the limit that I did not understand. And I had to change my ways to try and figure that out. It wasn't about the experience changing me. It was about my own mind, my own focus having to change for me. Because what I was seeing was not supposed to be real. What I was seeing was not supposed to be a part of any sort of reality. And yet here we are. So why is that happening? Why is it going that way? Tell us a little bit more about that, uh, about the actual experience. Well, I mean, for me, if we stick with the alien side of everything, in the UFO side, it started in mid-March of 2014, where I went to bed that night and I had, I to this day, I don't know if it was a dream or if it was some sort of reality that I was taken. And I was uh, put into this room that, uh, that was bright white that there was no other um, that there was no other areas for me to look around. I couldn't see the walls, couldn't see the ceiling, couldn't see the floor, even though I knew they were there. And I was um, kind of standing in this bright white room, and all of a sudden, I heard this voice come out and tell me that uh, that how I was allowed to investigate or how they would allow me to research what was going on with me. And next thing I knew I was sent back 
into my body. I woke up the next morning thinking, wow, that was weird. That was completely weird. And, and so a few weeks later, uh, I went over to a friend's house where a lot of my experiences happened. And that's where I had the, uh, the situation with the, with the UFO landing. And it was turning its lights on and off on my command. And so I was able, it did that three times from the ground. And I was able to, to, you know, have this amazing experience once again. And, and, you know, run with it. And so once that happened, and this craft was maybe 150 yards away from us. There was two people, me and another person there. And it had this giant blue cylinder that was standing vertically. And the white light was emanating from all around this blue cylinder. And the blue cylinder was probably 20, 30 feet high. I still have not seen that color blue. Um, but, I mean, you look at it and and it tests your reality. And then five days later, I met Samantha Mowat. And Samantha was telling me point blank that, that, um, is that the you little know, girl? this is, no, Samantha, Samantha, I met that, uh, five days later. She, she's a lifetime ET contactee and she is, uh, you know, she wanted to see where I'd seen the UFO. So I took mm-hmm. her out there cause I met her at, at the place where this happened. And we ended up, we ended up uh, going and walking into a forest. It was two o'clock in the afternoon, and Samantha literally says to me, uh, "We walk in about a hundred yards into the forest, and she says, Dave, I want you to stop right there. I want you to look this way and tell me what you see.'" And when I turned and looked, like two hundred feet away from us was a ten to twelve foot extraterrestrial, and that was. An eye opener, to say the least. I right? don't even know what to say to that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Ouch. yeah. yeah that's, that's what happens. When you saw the craft, do you recall if there was any sound or vibrations or temperatures, like hot or cold or anything like that? Nothing. Wow. There wasn't even sound. There wasn't even sound. Hmm. It's amazing. Um, any feelings like, you know, when I'm, I'm sure you've, uh, been close to an electric fence. Uh, you feel that, you know, as you no. get closer, you know, you didn't feel anything like yes. that either. Nothing. There was, wow. there was literally, there was literally nothing there except hmm. the lights. Just the lights. Wow. Yeah. It was, I don't even know how to put it. I really, I really don't even know how to put it. It was just um, one of those moments that was you just sat back and and you um, and you let it come in. You let it come in and you just took it for what it is. Now, a lot of people would have questioned their sanity seeing that. Yeah. And not yeah. come out of it. Yeah. 
So I mean, that's, that's, I don't know how, I don't know how, I, I don't know how else to put that. I mean, you do question your sanity. I remember when we were, when Samantha and I were standing in the forest and, and I literally was staring at this creature and Samantha started telepathically communicating with it. And the creature wanted us to walk over there. Hmm. And they said, you're more, uh, through Samantha, they said, we're more than, uh, we were more than welcome to come over and say hello. They were not there to take us. They were not there to harm us. However, we were concerned about the man's health. Well, it's only me and Samantha there and she's not a man. So guess who they were talking about? Yeah. Me. And so I, I, um, literally, uh, had to, had to take a deep breath because that didn't make sense. I saw fire in the sky. I saw what happened to Travis mm -hmm. Walton. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not going over there. Those are aliens. How can you trust them? Yeah. I mean, later on you learn that the majority of people on this planet who have had ET contact have had some sort of positive contact or most of their contact has been positive. Right? Mm-hmm. I've heard of others so having health issues afterwards as well. Mm -hmm. hmm. Or having health issues cleaned up. Mm -hmm. exactly. So at the so at the time when that being said that uh, they're concerned for the man's health and you had no clue what what they were referring to. Oh, I knew I was crapping my pants inside. <laughs> yeah. I I I want, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, and I and I've said this to many people. I was not scared of the being. Okay. Even mm -hmm. though I'd never seen an alien up until that point, I was never scared of the being. What I was scared about was I'm 40 years old and I am looking at an extraterrestrial that is not supposed to exist. How do you, how do you control that entire mind screwing that you're going into? Mm -hmm. Right. How do you control that? That's, you don't. No. Hmm. I, and yeah, that was that was part of the part of the big thing, right? And this that wasn't was the first the time. Thing. And this wasn't the first time you saw that creature. No, this was the absolute first time. Wow. Absolute first time. I've never had an experience like that before, so to me it's just fascinating. Frightening, but fascinating. Mm-hmm. Did you exactly. get any did you get any information from, from the entity? Why they were there, where they're from? It was all part of the experience, all the part to teach me, right? Uh I was too naive, stupid um to try and pick anything like that up. Mm-hmm. All right. And, um, it was something that I was way too not ready for. If I, I mean, if that situation were to happen today, I would like to think that I would handle it much differently, much differently than the way it's been handled or I handled it back then. Back then was more about panic. It was more about, about, uh, being fearful of, what the possibilities were, mm -hmm. it, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of issue. There was a complete amount of issue that just 
caused a lot of stress. Now, now, if I were to handle that today, I think I would like, or I would like to think that I would handle it a lot differently than the way I did back then. And back then was going on six years ago. And I wish I would have ha- handled it differently. I really do. Unfortunately, I didn't. Mm. Out of all the various experiences that you've had, what what's the one that sticks out in your mind the most? Would it be um, Angel of Death? Would it be the aliens? Good question. I Just, would say the angel, the angel of death kicked things off. Mm-hmm. All right, because I, a had never had that happen before. B it involved my mother. Um, C it was. C it was uh, the channeling that happened afterwards, and I never knew what channeling was, and I was never really uh, like my definition of channeling before that event was the idea that that channeling was grabbing a remote control and flicking through the channels and as quickly as possible until you can um, find something that you want to watch. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's kind of where I thought channeling was. I didn't realize it was a spirit entering your body and we are having to allow, uh, speak through uh, that scenario with everything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you mind telling us a little bit yeah. about that uh, that occurrence with your mother? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this happened on December 13th, 2011. We were doing a family Inve- uh, Christmas early for my daughter who was going to be away with her mother's parents over the Christmas holidays. Mm-hmm. And so I had all of my family there. I had, you know, my parents, a few friends, my my sisters, my cousins, or, or no, my, my daughter's cousins, so my nieces and nephews, my grandmother, my uncle, and, and we had about 25 people, 20, 25 people in the house. And at about 7.45 p.m., my mother and father announced that they were going. And I was in the living room kind of cleaning up some dishes and and bringing them to the kitchen. And my mother was in the kitchen. And and so I went and unloaded. Uh, I had my hands full. I put it on my dining room table before entering my kitchen. And as I walked across, uh, uh, went to take a step into the kitchen, I realized that the television in the room was off. Everything was silent. Nobody was talking. And my mother was standing there and I looked in my mother's eyes and my mother has these beautiful blue eyes. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at my mother's eyes and they are jet black and her pupils are white. And as I'm kind of looking, I tilted my head to the right, like, am I seeing what I believe I'm seeing? And I immediately got sick to my stomach and wanted to ball my eyes out because I knew I was looking into the angel of death's eyes. And from there, I watched my mother kind of give this look of shock on her face, kind of like, oh, you see me. Then she shook her head. Her eyes went blue. All the noise started happening on the television and people were talking again. She comes in, gives me a hug and walks away like nothing happened. Jeez. Yeah. So 
I kind of freaked out. I walked to the bedroom. My wife saw me walk to the bedroom. She goes, is everything okay? I said, I just saw the angel of death in my mother's eyes. She goes, how did you know it was the angel of death? I said, I just knew. I don't know. I can't tell you how I know. I just knew. So after everybody left the house a couple hours later, we ended up uh, going into our living room. The kids were in bed and uh, Jolene goes on one couch and I go on the other couch and we got a table separating us and she lights some white candles on that table and she goes, why don't you, because she was into all this spiritual jive that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. She goes, why don't you just relax and tell me what it is that you saw? And so I relaxed. I don't remember the next 38 minutes very well because I ended up channeling the angel of death who told me that uh, uh, I wasn't supposed to see him, but because he, f I did, he felt he, he owed me an answer, said that my mom had been very, very sick and we needed to start taking care of, better care of my mother. And if we did not start taking better care of my mom and showing her more love and respect and dignity, that he was going to take her home. He did not say heaven. He did not say hell. Mm -hmm. All he said was take her home. And I'm looking at this now. I did exactly what he told us to do. And I look at it now. My mother is now 76 years old, still alive, still battling health problems. Mm -hmm. But she would have never met my son in 2013 when he was born. You know, and my, my at that point, and this is the, the, one of the amazing stories that I love to say. You know, previous to my son being born and this incident happening, my mother could barely pick up a spoon. She was so weak from cancer treatment and radiation and chemotherapy. It really beat the tar out of her. And my mother isn't, a, isn't somebody who lives a healthy lifestyle in the first place. So then when you add in all of the, you know, the Agent Orange type chemicals that... Mm -hmm that are is that what is what chemotherapy is you know i'm i'm surprised she's still around and can do things and so anyways my um you know when my son was born watching i mean you got to realize this lady could not pick up a pick up a rolling pin like if she was baking cookies or bread, she could not pick up a rolling pin. That's how weak my mother was. And then all of a sudden my son is born and she finds that internal strength to be able to pick him up and carry him and, and you know, swaddle him and rock him and all of this kind of stuff. You know, it was kind of like we got the double whammy of my mother being alive, not only from channeling the angel of death, but with my son being born as well. So it was kind of cool. Very, very cool. That's amazing. It, it, it kind of brings tears to my eyes, literally. just I can just picture that, like the, the motherly love holding her grandson. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Wow. Did you ever tell your mom what you saw? Absolutely. It took a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Was she it surprised? Took, it took a um, Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I, I, my mother comes from a very religious family, okay, where and my mother hasn't practiced any type of religion in 60 years, but it's so ingrained in her that it, it's not surprising. Mm 
Okay. And uh, anyways, um, she kind of still hides behind it on certain topics. So it was very much like with this, she was believed, but, and she was, uh, she didn't deny that it happened, but I think she's denied the fact that she's experienced it, or I think she almost knows more than what she's leading on to, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Hmm. Has she ever spoken about it? Just no, no, not at all. Can't oh. talk to her about this be, because all of a sudden uh, the devil, God, demons, mm. everything comes into play. Yeah. That is so incredible. Yeah. When I first heard that, I, <laughs> like now, just speechless. I just, how do you react to that? that? Especially when that's your introduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And it, mm-hmm. it it would be it probably wouldn't have hit home as hard if it would have been someone else, uh, a different family member or a friend. But it was your mother. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now I don't look at my mother, and I, I don't, uh, um, I don't look at my mother and say, "Oh, well, I can't believe this happened or that happened." There's been a lot more happen ever since then. Mm-hmm. Right. However. I look at it as a major catalyst as to what's go- what's gone on. That's for sure. Do you think you'll ever figure out either yourself as an individual or just us as a species? Do you think we'll ever figure out if all of this is, um, if there's a correlation and, and how? No. No. I think there are some mysteries that we are not supposed to solve. Mm-hmm. and that And that is the big one. We're not supposed to solve that. Right? Mm-hmm. In a way, it's too bad. But do we really want to find out? I do. I do. I want to see as far as we can take this. Yeah. I just really don't know. I really don't know how we're going to be able to do that. Hmm. Just tell us quickly about your uh, your Bigfoot encounter. Yeah, that happened in September of 2013. I was at my friend Dave's house and the property had been on in his family for 41 years and in behind their 10 acres, they had a uh, a forest. And so in that forest, he said as a kid, there was a situation where he was... Um, him and his buddy were in the back. They were about 9, 10, 11 years old, playing cops and robbers, much like kids do. And they were um, playing around and chasing each other, and Dave caught his buddy, or his buddy caught him, and they were kind of standing by this tree. And all of a sudden, they hear this, whoo, whoo, ping. And this arrow goes and sticks right in between them in the tree. Like somebody shot an arrow from a bow Mm -hmm. and it was an old type of arrow, like an Indian type arrow that was tied and the boys got so scared. They ran away and Dave hadn't been back in that area for a long time. And so he wanted to show me where this was happening or where this happened. And we can walk down this trail to, to, uh, 
see where it was. And as we were walking down, um, we came across this snapped tree. And the tree was snapped at about eight feet high. Now, we're not talking a little twig of a tree that's maybe two inches round. This thing was about a foot, uh, you know, about nine, ten inches in diameter. And it was a big, thick tree. And the bark was pulled off of it. And, and you know, there had been no windstorms. There had been no rainstorms. It was a healthy tree. There was no bugs or anything in the area that that were, you know, would have eaten this tree and have it uh, collapse on itself. And we were there looking at this for about five, six minutes when all of a sudden we started getting the feeling that we were being watched. And we started looking all around and we end up looking straight in front of us. And that's when we noticed that there was this big fir tree about 100 yards, no, about 100 feet away. And there was something at the bottom that was kind of peering out and looking at us. And him and I both saw this creature that was kind of hiding behind the tree, peering out at us. And we'd see the right shoulder and then we'd see the head. And then every now and again, you could make out the eyes. And and I said to Dave, I said, I believe that's a Sasquatch. And he goes, yeah, me too. And we're like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. And so... Uh, we ended up uh, standing there watching it for about five minutes, 100 feet away. And then we kind of waved at it and, and you know, because, you know, we're real professional at that point. <laughs> and uh, we, decided, we decided that we were going to just walk away, let it be. Dave was a, Dave was and is still a very spiritual type guy. And, you know, he likes that communication and things like that. So I go and uh, start to turn back down the trail and, and at about 75 feet away from me. So if this, if this first Sasquatch was at, say, noon or 12 o'clock, let's go to about 1.30. And, and I start to see this tree branch shaking. And I stop and I look at it. And that's when I see the, uh, the second one walk right through where that tree branch was shaking. I had a full view of the, of the area. I had a full view of the creature on its right profile and the complete back profile. I did not see its face. I did not see its legs, but I saw its back. I saw that it had no neck. It went straight from shoulders to head and it was pretty damn intense. And I yelled at Dave. I'm like, Dave, second one. There's a second one. Did you see the second one? But he was already 15 feet down the trail. He thought I was right behind him. Oh. And I was like, damn, he didn't see that one. Any smells like uh, people usually Nothing. say there's a bad... Really? There was no smell. There was no fear. No Nothing. Now, I've heard some people say that um, there's a correlation with Bigfoot and aliens, um, that the Bigfoot are here uh, observing us. Do you feel that way? I don't know. The alien thing is very, very intriguing to me. However, I do not believe for a second that they are, that they are uh, here to watch us. I think that uh, there are things out there that are watching. I think Sasquatch is uh, or has some sort of supernatural type connection. I don't think it's just a uh, an animal that's been here for a while. Mm -hmm. All right. 
I think there is something to it and we got to figure out what that is. Uh, but, um, I, I also don't believe for a second that, that there isn't something more to this creature. There has to be something more. At least Absolutely. I, at least that's how I feel. Absolutely. I would agree with you on that. I would totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, I've never it's had just an so encounter. hard to say. I've never had an encounter with uh, Bigfoot either. Um, Might have with um, um, uh, a big uh, crashing sound when we're on an investigation. I'll tell you that about that some other time. But um, I've never had an encounter like that. I don't know if I'd want to. And you were you were just calm. There was no yeah no feeling. That's amazing. No fear whatsoever. Makes no me- fear whatsoever. It makes me wonder why some people have a calm experience like that and others it's very, very um, violent. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just so many questions to ask. Like, with, are they the same creature? Are they... Is it because you're... Some people are infringing on their their uh, their their territory and they're trying to protect something. Um, I don't know. There's so many questions. There is a ton of questions that are going on and there's a ton of questions on what to do. And, and so who knows? I, I honestly don't know where it's going. I really don't know where it's going. I wish I knew. Yeah. I wish I, I had, I wish I had more answers. I wish I had more ability to, uh, figure out the way it's supposed to go when it comes to Bigfoot. But I think that's also part of the mystery, too, that we just don't know what is happening. We just don't know where it's supposed to go. We just, I think there are certain mysteries on this planet that it's just meant for us not to know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What do you think the reason, like, when I was growing up, Bigfoot was a primate, and now all of a sudden, Bigfoot has more of these paranormal abilities. Do you feel that perhaps it's because we're more open to the paranormal and the unknown? Uh, no, I think it's the fact that people are finally starting to to realize that there might be something more to this. So, I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, the First Nations people across North America have always said there was something special about this creature. Mm-hmm. All right. They they really haven't gone into it. I mean, the fact that we think it's a great ape, that's always been a a Caucasian European settler type scientific uh, or as I like to say, a Caucasian Christian science thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, and as long as we have that type of thinking, it's going to be naive. And for so many years, we shot down the idea and and somewhat to this day we still do shoot down the idea that all of these first nations legends and all of these first nations um uh stories and and folklore are automatically just a bunch of bs because in our caucasian christian thinking that stuff's not supposed to exist that stuff's not supposed to be real mm-hmm. that stuff is not supposed to be around 
so it doesn't make sense to us. Yet, I think the creature has always been that way because that is the way that it has been it has been portrayed by numerous generations who were here well before the white man ever got here. Hmm. And there's no point in even trying to figure that out. So when you, at least when I look at things, I try and take a mixture of both. And that's and I believe strongly that that's the reason why we haven't got in any or we've never found a body, we've never found anything that was supposed to happen towards this, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the reason why we've never found that body or that or that whatever. You know what I'm saying? I really do believe that. I really strongly believe that, right? Do you think we'll ever find a body? No. No, I don't. Because we're not ready to or... I think, like I said, I think there is something, uh, there is something that is very special about this creature. Mm-hmm. I think it takes care of itself. I think that uh, there is something going on. There is something totally going on, right? And we have to be able to uh, to uh, accept that, but we're not willing to accept that yet because we think we know better. Because we're supposed to be on the top of the food chain and we're supposed to know better. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Dave, we could go on for hours. This has been extremely fascinating. Um, But I'm going to have to call it here. Not a problem. Thank you so much for being able to share some time with you. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared with us. It's greatly appreciated, and uh, I hope you'll come again on the show and uh, tell us some more. Absolutely. Absolutely, we can do that. Before we sign off, why don't you let, because I'm sure there's one or two listeners out there, only one or two, who haven't heard of Dave Scott and Spaced Out Radio. So why don't you tell them where they can find you? Yeah, you can find us at spacedoutradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at spacedoutradio or my personal account at Dave Scott SOR. Instagram at Dave Scott SOR. You can also uh, check out all of our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spacedoutradio. Just do us a favor, hit that subscribe button. We're all over Facebook as well. And don't worry, folks, about trying to remember all that. I will be adding that to the show notes. So when this gets released, you'll be able to just click and boom, it'll bring you there magically. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Kat. Take care. Take care. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to purpleplanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants. 